Hey everyone, welcome to the John Top of It show. I am your host, John Meisberg, and today we have our guest, Natalie Dowd. She is a mother that is also a polyamorous parent. Natalie, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Um, viewers out there, uh, like this video if you're interested in the topic of polyamory or being a polyamorous parent. Uh, so more people can see it and make sure to share it with your friends so they can tune in. And uh, don't forget to try to uh, ask any questions that you might have during the interview in the chat. And we will try to get to them at the end. All right. So um, I'm going to uh, play to the lowest common denominator. Like there's probably some people out there that are like, well, what is what is polyamory? Like, um, how would you... How would you describe that to like a person that you think doesn't know a lot about a lot? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so polyamory literally means multiple loves. Um, and uh, a lot of people kind of wonder, how can you do that? How does that work? But um, one of the things I like to remind people is that we all have many loves. Um, we love our family and our children and our parents. And so our heart has the capacity to love a lot of people. It's just that polyamory includes romantic love in that, um, or it can. And there's so many different forms that it takes. So to be able to define what it is often comes in the form of defining what it's not. Mm. Which, um, another metaphor that I like to use is it's like going to the sandwich shop and you can either... Um, choose the um default like number four or number five sandwich or you can choose to make your own <laughs> and um so in a lot of my life um relationships and um career path and everything included i choose to make your own option um and uh that means there's not necessarily like a script i'm following or like defaults so um everything is a new question hmm. um, it's all about the um, agreements that you have within yourself and within your partners and um there's no defaults or assumptions and that can be sometimes um a challenging thing but it can also be a really freeing thing mm. and it sounds to me like you know we're born and we are told like hey these are how things are in society and you should plug into how things already are and then you have the option to do that or the you have the option to like invent how you want to exist in reality and it sounds like uh, monogamy is like the the way that we're told to plug in but it's not necessarily the only way to, to, to interact, to interface with other people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I saw, I saw on Reddit, there was this, this, uh, meme that said that this is a way to explain it to a monogamous person and said, um, <laughs> you love cheese, right? And he said, yeah, I fucking love cheese. So you only love cheddar, right? And he said, cheddar is great, but so is Brie. Munster and Gouda and he said do you love brie for the same reason you love cheddar I mean they taste the same right he said of course not you can't compare cheddar to brie they're totally different and he said does your love of cheddar reduce your love of brie he said of course not I love them both and I thought that was interesting to think about it's like, <laughs> it's, a like good metaphor. Well, it's pretty good it's like I think like a lot of people they're like if someone is 
in a relationship with more than one person that they must not like one of those people as much or but it's like do you feel that way about cheese though like and i think it's such a funny thing because um it would be unthinkable to say that line of reasoning about your children mm -hmm. like you had one child and then you had another Mm-hmm. Does that mean you don't like your first child? <laughs> Come it's on. very similar logic. <laughs> um, let's see. Here's another one that's kind of similar. It says, um, I was talking to someone who's not polyamorous about my girlfriend, but what if she likes him more than she likes you? How would you deal with that? She asked. That's impossible, I said. That sounds pretty ar- arrogant. What if she thinks he's better than you? Well, let me clarify. He cannot possibly be better than me. better than me at being me. Just like I can't be better than him at being him. I'm a banana and he's an orange. She loves bananas and she loves oranges, but an orange is always going to be a better orange than a banana. And a banana beats an orange at being a banana every time. And he said, what? (laughs) When she wants a banana, here I am. When she wants an orange, he's her man. And they said, well, what if she wants a fruit salad? And they said, that's what board game nights are for. (laughs) Definitely seen that one. (laughs) I like that. So, yeah, what do you think? I mean... Yeah, and I mean, I think that um, that is also speaking a little bit to the concept of um, what we call kitchen table poly. Mm. Um, so there's yeah, there's a lot of different terms for a lot of different kinds of polyamory, um, but um, the the term kitchen table refers to the idea that like you're all a family and all of your partners kind of like can come together at the kitchen table Mm. so Um, it's like maybe you don't all have relationships with each other but you're still amicable you still can spend time with each other yeah and i mean i think that a lot of times that's seen as a goal Mm -hmm. um and i would say that in the many years that we've been doing this we've ebbed and flowed in and out of like that style either like that each pe- each person has like their relationships and they commingle to some extent versus like we do things together a lot. And that just like ebbs and flows naturally and I think that really the only problem that you can run into is if you try to make it one way and that's just fighting the like natural state of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because there will be times when everybody gets together and gets along really well um, and there's times when that's just not how the how life is flowing at the time mm. um and it's I, I wouldn't say that one way is better or worse than the other way so but, a lot of that probably depends on the personalities of the people involved yeah for sure do you consider yourself to be like an introverted person or an extroverted person i personally am an extrovert okay do you think that this is true here look at this one <laughs> um Polyamory is a systematic (laughs) way for introverts to pass their extroverted partners around so that the extroverts stop bothering them and they can read a book or whatever. (laughs) I suppose there's there's some there's some truth to that. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's probably getting at that everyone has needs that need to be met, and sometimes the person that you know might be perfect to you in a lot of ways isn't always going to be into everything that you're into. and I guess I've heard in 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 argument against that though from other people like, well, yeah, that's what friends are for. You don't have to have a 
romantic or sexual relationship with them just because they like to read and your partner doesn't. I don't sure. know. And you but certainly don't have you to. Don't. Yes. <laughs> you don't have to do you don't anything. Have to. <laughs> no, there's no one's holding a gun to your head. But I guess the, the question that maybe this interview is about and polyamory is about is like, well, why not, though? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, and I mean, I think that it's it's always dependent on who you are and what your relationship looks like. And the like, the best thing is if it's You've got somebody who wants to be poly, who's in a relationship with somebody else who also wants to be polyamorous, and that works out for them. When it gets hard is when you have a relationship where one person feels fundamentally polyamorous and the other person feels fundamentally monogamous. Mm -hmm. And then that's a a challenge you have to work through. Personally, that's not been something that I've had to deal with, but that often becomes the challenge between Mm. those. That sounds like something that probably happens a lot, where it's like unbalanced like not necessarily yeah. both people want the same thing because everyone's different yeah yeah um that is tricky <laughs> so but i mean even monogamous relationships have challenges yeah. it's just different challenges exactly um i don't know i think coming from a person that's in a monogamous relationship i think about it and i think that the the uh, the initial reaction would be um you know there's already challenges in a monogamous relationship with one person, then compounding that just sounds like even more, it's like expert mode almost like, Oh my God, like I think things are hard already. It's like, it's going to take it up to another level. And it, it does, you know, it does increase the challenge in some ways. And it certainly makes the, the need for having emotional tools and communication tools really important. Mm -hmm. But I think I would again, bring it to the metaphor of children, which um, is like, oh my gosh, it's already hard having one child. Like, I don't know if I can handle having two, three, four children. Like, it does get exponentially harder every time you have more children. But, you know, a lot of people feel that the love is worth it and And, what they get out of it is worth it. And also, yes and no. Like, I'm actually one of six kids and my mom would argue that there were these this effect where um you know as the third kid was born and the fourth kid was born the first and the second starts to pitch in to help with the third and the fourth and it's like you you have more people to help and one of the things that i've read about paul polyamorous uh parenting relationships that we were going to get to later is that you know you got more people on board you have more resources available you have more hands and brains to problem solve like in some ways it can be a positive like people i think there's this um, there's this mentality in society to immediately jump to all of the problems of polyamory and not even uh, consider maybe the benefits. They're yeah. just like de- in defensive mode. They're like, <laughs> oh, what about cheating? And what about the kid? I don't know. You know what I mean? That's funny, actually, because, um, uh, you know, cheating in, th- in, in certain ways is really only a problem in monogamy relation, monogamous relationships. And, you know, people ask what cheating in a poly relationship is, and really it just means, like, lying. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, polyamory gets you away from that as a, as a problem because, theoretically, y- you, you can do whatever you want as long as you put the emotional labor in uh-huh. to negotiate that. Yeah. Um, but as far as making things easier, it absolutely makes things easier in so many ways. Uh-huh. And, um... So, Not only in the in the ways of parenting, but also like, you know, my partner is having a hard time as long as my, and here's a term I'm going to throw out, metamor, that's, that means my partner's partner. Okay. So as long as my partner's partner, my metamor, 
is somebody who has a positive impact on my partner, then they're having a hard time. They go off to their partner and come back and now suddenly they're happier and they're calmer mm. and like their their issues have been solved and I didn't have to do it. So you see it as a form <laughs> of self care for them. It is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Almost like going to see a counselor. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> okay, so how about um before we dive too far into your personal experience, let's just uh, level set and define some terms. So, like, um, for polyamorous relationships, what are the common forms that it can take from your understanding? Sure. I mean, there's a lot of forms it can take. Maybe just, like, the main, um, the main yeah. ones. So, um, there... You can be solo poly, mm -hmm. which basically means that you are your own primary partner and you can have multiple relationships, but ultimately it comes down to you and your own personal um, agreements with yourself um, and your other pa your partners don't really have to do with each other much. Um, and then there's um, like varying levels of hierarchy and varying levels of like agreements based polyamory. Um, and so, uh, and on the other end of the spectrum, there is relationship anarchy, which, mm. um, do whatever you want. It's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like you make, you define everything, you make up your own rules and, um, and, and that can contain the concept of agreement. So, right. Let's say you're a relationship anarchist and a solely solo poly person. So you like have a relationship with somebody who happens to have hierarchical polyamory. So let's say you are your own sort of, you would consider yourself a single person who is also dating people and you're dating maybe a married person and they have their own hierarchical rules. Maybe their rules are, and, and maybe their boundaries or their definitions of their relationship include, um, you know, you can go on dates when, um, when it works for our family and when our family um, mm -hmm. is available for that kind of thing. So yeah. long as you like put our family first. Mm -hmm. So then the solo polyamorist is maybe in a relationship with this person who has these rules and definitions of their own, yeah. but for them personally, they don't have rules or hierarchy in their own. They probably need some kind of like word document to keep track of <laughs> some like, people the, do. <laughs> like all the rules and notes for like each relationship that they have. It's like, you don't want to like mix them up. You're like, Oh, I forgot. <laughs> I thought that you were like, no, that was that other person you're with. Well, like, and this oh. is where I really don't like the concept of rules. Um, uh -huh. uh, there are a lot of people who, who do do rules. And I would argue that oftentimes, those rules don't work for them uh -huh. because people try to use this concept of rules as a way of um, putting a boundary on somebody else as opposed to for themselves. And so one of the most important things that people have been who have been doing poly for uh, and I should say polyamory um, within the community, um, polyam is the accepted short term um, I'm accustomed to the word poly because I've been using it for so long, but it became problematic um, when uh, people realized that it's a term that Polynesian people like to use for themselves. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, so I, I may throw out the term poly from time to time because it's something I'm so used to, but um, sort of to be... Kind of an antiquated term. Yeah, I, I should really be saying polyam or polyamorous. Okay. Um, so um, sort of to get back to this idea of boundaries... Um, people who are new to polyamory try to 
Um, <laughs> they try to shield their heart by putting up enough rules that they think they won't get hurt. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes this comes out in um, really either like um, sort of hetero or like male centric ways or like couples privilege ways people will come up with this concept of a one penis policy which is like cool like i like the idea of hot lesbians um and like bisexual women but i don't like the idea of threatening other males so you my bisexual wife can have sex with other women but not men this is the most common form of polyamory that i see personally in my view is is it'll be like a man and a woman are together and then the woman has uh she has like a girlfriend on the side and that's i i feel like that represents probably like nine out of ten polyamorous relationships i've personally been exposed to i know like a few that are a little different but that's like the mainstream kind of yeah if you enter really into any polyamory group discussion like 90 percent of the posts are going to be about people who are new to polyamory saying how do i find a third and that's also called unicorn hunting Mm mm-hmm and then everybody who has been in the group for a while kind of bashes on them and says, uh, like, tells them what's everything that's problematic about that concept. Mm-hmm. And it is pretty rooted in fragile masculinity and, um, like, heteropatriarchy. And it's, um, it's really problematic for um, bisexual women who may be interested in that kind of relationship in a way that is... Um, they're equitable. being limited. They're being limited to only other women because of their male partners' um, Insecurity. e- insecurities. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So that's the pro- that's the main problematic aspect of it. Is right. like you're putting limits on not yourself but your partner. And if you want to have a healthy polyamorous relationship, the limitations that you set should probably be the limitations you're setting for yourself as a person, and then respect your partner's boundaries individually right and but that's hard for people really, to do i bet yeah it's really hard for people to <laughs> yeah. do because they want to shield their heart and they realize they'll ultimately after you do it for a long time realize there's no shielding your heart in whether you're in a monogamous or a polyamorous relationship you can't just rules yourself away from getting hurt but isn't it that like the issue is that a lot of people's personal boundaries for themselves somehow involve their partner you know so, what I mean? It's like, it's say, my, my personal boundary <laughs> is that you don't do this. It's like, it doesn't make sense, but that's how they think about it, I guess. Right. And so let's say that, that we're going to take the same concept and the same fears and put it in a healthy way to do boundaries. So, okay, you think that your boundary involves, um, I can't be in a relationship with um, a woman who has sex with another man. So then rather than saying, my boundary is that you can't have sex with another man. You have to really question whether you're, that's actually your boundary, because if that's actually your boundary, then you say, my boundary is that I can't personally be in a relationship with a woman who's having sex with another man. And therefore, if my personal boundary is crossed, I am going to remove myself from that situation. So mm-hmm. the, the, What are you going to do? So what you're going to do is you then leave the relationship. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not actually going to leave the relationship because something like that happens, then it's not a boundary. Mm. You could also say, my boundary is that I don't want to hear you and your other partner having sex. So sometimes that will come out as you and your partner can't have sex in my bedroom or you can't have sex in my house. 
Well, you could try to say that, but that's gonna you're gonna run into some problems because you're trying to police their actions. Mm-hmm. But what you can do is you can you can define your own your own actions. So you can say if you and your partner are having sex in an area where I am, I will leave. Mm-hmm. And that's just a really subtle but super important distinction about boundaries. So something that's coming to mind right now is like the the hangups that people have with polyamory is centered around jealousy or insecurity in general. And would you say that for anyone out there that has those initial thoughts and feelings um, when they think about the possibility of trying this out... That it's not for them and they're not wired for it? Or is it a skill? Is it a like a uh, something that you can acquire through practice and understanding? Like, Or is it something that is just like, oh, I'm either wired for it or I'm not? Um, I think the answer is yes. Um, <laughs> it's a little <laughs> um, of both. Yeah, it's a little of both because I think that it takes a lot of self-inquiry to ask yourself and to really delve down of like, is this truly who I am or mm-hmm. is this cultural programming? Yeah. And we you have You ask that about through, like everything in yeah, your whole life. <laughs> so many things. <laughs> um, and so it does take a lot of self-inquiry because we have been so programmed to believe that like, especially males in our culture, that like if your partner is with somebody else, you have to be them up or it makes you less of a man or whatever the cultural programming tells us mm-hmm. and so the question is is it worth it to you to work on that programming and, and do the benefits outweigh the negatives for you personally mm-hmm. and sometimes you don't know that until you try it yeah. but i've definitely seen time and time again people who feel like they could never get past this huge hurdle and then years go by, they work on it and they work on it and work on it. And someday, like one day, and they don't even know when it happened, they look back and they go, well, damn, like that was somebody else. That must have been a different person because I have just changed so much in my ability to process these feelings and work with this. And yeah, it's just it's a good thing that when you look back and you don't recognize yourself, that means that you've made you've grown a lot if you look back and you're like it's the same person you're like oh (laughs) what happened (laughs) i need to do some more internal discovery but so how long have you been polyamorous so um my uh my little quip that i like to say is um my husband and i waited until marriage to -hmm. become polyamorous (laughs) okay so um we how many years ago was that? Um, we got married in 2011. Okay, um, so nine years ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so you have quite a lot of experience. I with have, us. and that, I think that is really the one thing that makes our polyamorous family so much different from most polyamorous people you will meet. Mm-hmm. Is the one thing that people tend to be surprised about and notice is just how long-term most of our relationships are Mm -hmm. um my husband and i got together when i was 14 and he was 15 oh wow this was in 2004 um and we always knew that we were going to be together so you guys were together for seven years before you got married yeah okay And, and that's where it's like by the time we got married we felt really safe and secure with each other was this your first relationship yes okay yeah wow okay yeah um so my uh, my high school sweetheart. <laughs> um, did that in, did, did that influence your curiosity about wanting to 
see what it's like to be with somebody else other than the only yeah. person you've been with. <laughs> yeah, I would say that for sure. I mean, I'm sure that's what viewers out there probably think. Like, <laughs> she's just with one person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, and I think that's also maybe part of what made it kind of fraught in the beginning of like, oh, like now you've had this experience that I haven't. We have to even the scales. Um because your partner had had other relationships. Um, well, um, I guess he, he kind of had, um, but like... Because how many can you have at 15? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. Um, so, I mean, by the time that we were engaged, um, it, it was something that I didn't necessarily consciously think about as a choice, but um, I would say I'm a pretty um, like adventurous person. Mm-hmm. Um and um and so um it sort of just came to light that um i was interested in in something more than like the the traditional setup that mm-hmm. is expected so did you broach this topic to him or did he talk about um, it to you and how did he take it? I think that's maybe one, another thing that maybe people in monogamous relationships think about is like, if I bring this up, they're going to think I don't like them anymore. Right? Yeah, I like, would say, or they're not enough and it's going to cause rifts in the relationship. That all might be true. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, your fears are all true. Yeah. Um, it's, like, just, it's like, a, it's like a, just something that's bound to happen to potentially transition towards something it's like something that has to happen you're saying yeah there's like uh there's growing pains and just because you have a bad feeling doesn't mean you can't work through it Mm -hmm. um um any change in life is hard if you have to move for a job it's hard like everything's hard so um it's just what kind of hard do you want to do yeah um so for us it was kind of like um i i didn't really consciously bring it up um but like we we got engaged and um i ended up going to a high school friends party and then um like uh sort of fell into um getting pretty close to the line um with a girlfriend from mm-hmm. uh from high school and then came back sort of like crying about like oh, i made a mistake and um and he sort like, of maybe like you start to feel like you're getting into like the emotional cheating kind of right feeling. it was like i i felt like i had like i hadn't been able to like withstand temptation or whatever uh-huh. it was and yeah. and we had such a like relationship we we do and have still um like have always had such a relationship based on honesty that like the idea that i would have like not just immediately told him like i drove home in the middle of the night and was like i did this thing um and so he like remembers that day as like looking at a nexus point where he like saw the path of like going down the like traditional culturally expected path of like righteous indignation um but then he saw another path of like "Hmm, i could get something out of this too (laughs) Mm -hmm. path um and he sort of like sat there with that for a minute and thought like hmm like okay like this could be something that we do with ourselves this could be something that we try of like being more open um and so i would say that like that kicked off like a year of like that uh uncomfortable feeling of like the the balance being off and trying to make it even um mm-hmm. and what do you mean by that 
uh, well, because I had had an experience and he had not. Okay. Um, and so it's like, well, let's like, let's try to do this. Like, mm-hmm. we were gonna like try to like intentionally make that happen, but it's like, you know, not something that's super easy to just like be like, this must happen, and we're going to do it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, so like a year of this like sort of like strange like imbalance, and then uh, our wedding comes around. And my bachelorette party comes around, uh-huh. and I swear to you, I propositioned most of my bachelorettes. <laughs> uh-huh. e- ethically, uh, because you had already gotten to a place. We had already your... like talked about like it was like for us, and uh-huh. this is where like I am gonna be like completely honest that like that thing that everybody does that super sucks of like unicorn hunting. Yeah, that's how I got into polyamory. Yeah, like, we were absolutely the worst. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> We did that thing. Yeah. Um, but, like, it... It's part of the growth you process. Have to, yeah, it's part of the growth process. You have to make your mistakes and learn... You, like, you have to learn kind of by, like, doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, that we sort of stumbled into polyamory that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, years go by, and um, we... Um, we... Alex uh, had a, um, a classmate in medical school... And, um, they were interested in each other and she had a partner as well. So, you know, that took some time and, um, ultimately the, the four of us ended up getting together like as a, like a quad. Hmm. Um, or everyone's with everyone or, or it's, I guess it could mean different things to different people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, almost everyone's with everyone. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, okay. the, the two men didn't have a relationship with each other in that particular instance. Um, yeah. I think that's maybe a lot of men's apprehension to hearing stuff like that is like, I don't see myself as somebody who's attracted to men. It's like, oh, if I do something like that, I'm going to have, there's going to be an expectation for me to start doing things with men. They're like, uh, I don't know. Sure. And I uh, mean, like, I think depending on your personal level of toxic masculinity, like nobody's going to force you to like, you know, actually do something take one for the team yeah like nobody's gonna force you to do that yeah but you may have to like i mean not have to but like you may end up in a situation where like things are going pretty well for you and if you can like stand the sight of another man naked (laughs) like it's gonna go really well for you (laughs) Uh... (laughs) all right (laughs) um so I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, I was going to say something I was going to say is that um, before you were polyamorous, um, when you were monogamous, um, I guess since you only had one partner, no experience with cheating or anything like that. Right. Like not until like that one like day I come home, I see. like I'll front. <laughs> okay. So I have a story. I was in a relationship for seven seven years uh married for two of those years and it actually ended in my my first wife cheating with my best friend and before it happened i think that we had talked a lot about like how you know monogamy can sometimes lead to this feeling of maybe like not that they're not enough just like it's hard to keep things interesting Mm -hmm. and hard to keep the 
like some like a topic that kept coming up was like new relationship energy like the way it feels when you first get with somebody that mm-hmm. feeling it's like you just never it seems like it's you can't get it back it's just gone it's a drug <laughs> it's like a drug yeah and i don't know i think you know just like any relationship like maybe you love that person you see them as like your quote-unquote life partner but you're also trying to like you want to f- still feel those good feelings and it's like if I, I don't know, is there a way that I can get them back from the, my current partner? Is there a way that I can somehow like get them from other people and like integrate the the way that I feel and it like re reinvigorates my current uh, like sexual relationship? I don't know, but like we had talked about stuff like that. Nothing ever came to fruition, but I had always wondered if a big part of like why people cheat in monogamous relationships can be this like constricting feeling of like that you have no options. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, for men, I, I think it's like for some people, it's just like you can either go look at pornography and just like neglect your, and like, it's, I don't even know if, I don't even think that's very healthy either, but like, I guess it depends on how you're using it, but This is getting real now. <laughs> I just think, I just, I just wonder in monogamous relationships, if we're setting like these unrealistic expectations of what people are expected to do for their entire life and somehow maintain happiness. Yeah, absolutely. I think am people, I, like, am I being clear? I, I think that makes sense. I think people feel like they don't have a way out and they don't have an option. And so their like only option is deceit. Yeah. And that's pretty sad. And that's why it's really important for me to get the message out there. that like polyamory is an option for mm-hmm. you, um, for anyone. But and, why do you think it doesn't feel like an option? Well, I mean, first of all, like our cultural programming says that it isn't an option and people doesn't even occur to people. Like it didn't even occur to us that that was an option until like we like sat with it for a really long time and so i think that like is what drives people to dishonesty Mm -hmm. um but i think that um i think there's just a lot of stigma still attached to it if i'm being honest i mean maybe that's my own thing but like i feel so much stigma thinking about polyamory just because the way i interpret it a partner interpreting it is and i i mean i i think that every every partner would be different but maybe just the people that i think about in my own life um that they would see it as uh, a threat that another person's going to replace them that it's going to destroy their the relationship that they have with you that it's like uh splitting your time with other people can only be a bad thing for you like just i start to think about all of the different um um defense mechanism quotes yeah. that come up and I think that that's where a lot of the stigma lies. Um, that that I'm hoping like, we can talk about. But yeah, that kind of makes me think of um, a book I, I like just started. Um, but uh, um, like Byron Katie talks about the work, um, and so the like in in terms of like when you have like really challenging thoughts that that hurt to feel those thoughts, um, the the work says to ask yourself. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to quote this right this, because this person. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if I'm going to quote these uh, questions that she has you ask c- properly. But the first question is: Is it true? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second question is: Can you know that for sure? Mm-hmm. And that's where the sticking point of like you really can't know anything for sure comes in. And so once you ask yourself: Is it true? And can I know that for sure? And if you can't know it for sure, then the follow-up question is. 
like what else could be bringing what else could it be and like how how could i feel who would who would i be without that thought Mm -hmm. and if you feel freer without that thought then maybe you can think about it in a different way interesting i mean one of the main main um statements that i've heard when it comes to defending polyamory is uh monogamy isn't a safe bet either like people who are monogamous get divorced all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> People that are monogamous get into fights and get divorced all the time and they're not happy too. Like, it's like you're not safe doing that. Right. It's, or, if, or if somebody's unhappy in a monogamous relationship, it's like, uh, like locking them down from having any other experiences isn't going to protect your relationship. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, there is nothing that you can do to protect yourself or your loved ones from emotional pain there's no rules or boundaries or like walls you can put up that's going to keep you safe. And like the best thing you can do is to be emotionally vulnerable and to allow yourself to feel all the feelings and to sit with it and (laughs) to be honest about who you are, what you want, who they are and what they want and have the hard conversations. Mm. Yeah. I think a lot of people shy away from hard, which is probably why this is less (laughs) of a mainstream concept just because it's like people tend to default to easy right would you agree to that uh yeah yeah and i think that like don't make me think don't make me think about it they default to easy in the moment which leads to harder later i think sometimes like Mm -hmm. that's where you get cheating right it's like it feels easier in the moment to say well neither of us are going to have any other experiences than each other but because you didn't have those conversations maybe you'd miss the fact that you both actually wanted something and neither of you talked about it. And then you end up running into this thing of like, well, shit, we didn't talk about this. And like somebody cheated and now it's just broken beyond repair. Yeah. So it's like better to be proactive than try to pick up the pieces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned to me earlier. So we're talking about um, how you met your partner, how you became polyamorous uh, you mentioned to me that you have um, a company together, Synaptic yeah. Design. So, I thought we could briefly touch on this. I thought it was kind of sure. interesting. So you guys have worked on some projects together, or maybe talk to yeah. me about what, what does he do? So my husband is, um, well, a lot of things, but um, a neurologist and a biomedical engineer. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um I, I should now say our husband. Um, we recently got married to our wife last summer. Okay. Um, so um, he um, he and I started this company called Synaptic Design back in Minnesota. Um, just not too long after we became polyamorous, um, and this um, lasted for I think two years in its like largest conception where we were we hired a lot of uh developers and designers and we're really like churning that out as our primary thing and then when we moved to seattle in 2015 um it to some extent disbanded but we're we're still actually maintaining some of the um projects and products that we initiated with that company mm-hmm. um and I do think that to some extent us running this company together um was part of what made us feel um so uh tightly together that we were less threatened by having um like other 
like partners coming into the relationship because not only did we have our um like long-term emotional relationship and like a uh, romantic relationship together but we also um like had a business relationship together and so it was a lot of togetherness um which uh we're used to sharing things yeah we're, <laughs> yeah we're used to sharing and we're pretty solid with each other so um i think what really helped us and our family be um polyamorous is is our um our roots um we've got really really deep um commitments with most of our relationships um i at this point am in a relationship with um five people um, oh wow and the shortest term one of those has been together for five years so <laughs> um that's a lot of deep roots mm-hmm. um which um which makes it sort of safe to play within those bounds of like maybe things are scary but like you know is one fight gonna break a like commitment that's half of my like oh literally at this point over half of my lifetime my, my entire adulthood has been in this relationship at least like one of them and so like you know, at a certain point, it's like, well, the idea that any given fight or any given problem would be big enough to shake such a deep root is just silly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's really what has helped us um, is like our really, really long term commitments. So you're in five relationships. Five- I personally am in, in five relationships. I've, um, I'm married to my husband. We're married to our wife. Um, my husband and I are in that quad that we started off um, uh-huh. in Minnesota. So those are Three two, and four. two more. So um, that's that's four. And then I have um, my own partner that's um, not partnered with those others uh, that I met. So where do you find Seattle. the time? Um, <laughs> well, that's where the longevity of it like comes up um, to of like, you know, you, you ebb and flow into times where it's like... Um, maybe there was like a point in my life where like I had like a hyper focus in like one relationship versus another. Um, two, two of those partners have now moved to, um, Syracuse. And so that's like at this point, mostly virtual, but like we, we did recently visit them. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, not everybody is, is the same amount of time at the same, at the same time. Um, and also there have been times where every, where many of the relationships have been, um, needing time at the same time so you know there's times where it's like oh wow like i'm finding myself where i've got five relationships but i'm also alone tonight because everybody's busy mm-hmm. um but there will also be nights where it's like well f- <laughs> like sh- i don't know what i'm allowed to say on this podcast like explicative um <laughs> uh everybody ha- is having needs at the same time and i am one person um and the amount of times i've wanted to uh, duplicate myself um, is quite quite a few yeah. amount of times. You feel like you could be like pulled in different directions yeah, at the same time. Yeah. So I mean that is one of you know time management is hard, especially for somebody who has ADHD um, yeah. like me and pretty much everybody in my household all does. So yeah. oh, was, so wait wait let's stop a second. <laughs> that's interesting to me. Is there? Do you think that there is a correlation between people who are ADHD and people who are likely to be interested in polyamory? That's a, that is a good question. I, I thought the answer to that is yes. And the reason is because you're so used to multiple thoughts. 
and handling multi- multitasking, multiple right. things at once. So the idea of being with multiple people is not really that foreign to you. Yeah, that's like, that's uh, how I identify a parallel with it. to our thoughts. Like most people, like have a little bit more of a linear, like one thought at a time kind of tra- like train that happens in their head. Whereas like mm-hmm. those of us with ADHD have like a circus in there. So it's yeah. like you know, I have heard some people <laughs> uh, getting kind of upset at the idea of that online because it's usually brought up in the context of cheating it's like uh-huh. are people with adhd more likely to cheat because they need to be with multiple people and people are like how dare you use somebody's neurological <laughs> issues to condone such bad behavior yeah. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> i won't have it, it's good sir but it's, like, yeah. but it's like no well it's not about condoning it it's about understanding it yeah like what is driving it um it's interesting that you say all your partners have ADHD, though, because I have a therapist, and they say that we are, people with ADHD are much more likely to, for their friends and their, for their partners to also have it as well. Yeah. And I think that that's very interesting. <laughs> it's like, it must, it's an attraction thing, I guess, but... Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it is. It feels um, like everybody in the world has ADHD because most of my circle does. Um, so yeah. it just feels like the the default. Yeah. Which is, I wouldn't say all of my partners do. Um, I would say that uh, it's also a spectrum. It's like yeah. it's not it's not everyone's at a hundred. It's somewhere between zero and yeah. hundred, I think. But um, you're you um, you're also an artist. And you've said uh, that the, you've created some art that's been inspired by your way of life. Um, is that right? Uh, yeah, I guess I'd say like all all of my art um, is inspired by my life. Um, but you know, definitely um, this uh, this feeling of being so multi multiplicity supported. That's not the right way to say it, but um, so supported in 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 such a multiplicity of ways um, has uh, that one influenced. Um, this uh, piece that I made while I was pregnant, um, which I guess I just felt really um, uh, safe and secure, um, feeling like I had so much this support. One. Yeah. Um, Don't ban us, <laughs> Zuckerberg, please. Yeah, there's like it's it's just art, you guys. Um, <laughs> I love that the price has gone up. It's crossed out. And it's gone up. Oh, did I do that? See, I'm uh, I. <laughs> no, that's I'm, awesome. You're in like, addition to being, don't, don't correct it. That's my favorite. <laughs> Because it's like, yo, it just, it just, it just went up in value. You missed your opportunity, guys. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, just leave it. It's perfect. Yeah. I may have some uh, like numerical dyslexia. No, so. I actually think you should just do that to all of your artwork. <laughs> just like crossed out. Now it's worth more. Sorry. Um, it is for sale, you guys. So um. Wait, the only thing I would change is make the text green now. So then it's like, ooh, oh, you missed your opportunity. Yeah. Wait a little longer. Yeah. On my just make it more <laughs> right so tell me about this um so this uh this piece um uh i guess i uh am the um foreground and or the like the main uh pregnant person and i tried to make the person holding me look uh like a ambiguous amalgamation of uh like all of the partners who have held and supported me throughout that time oh interesting um so it's like um, that's all the hands well, and the hands too, yeah. Um, so, like, there's like a person spooning me, um, who's like sort of like a stand-in for all my partners, and then um, there's like all those hands, who may or may not be partners, maybe like family or friends, um, just like um, feeling like 
there is just there's so much support and you know and at the same time um there's like a little bit of a subtle energy of like the hands looking a little um overwhelming (laughs) Mm -hmm. because there's like so much to the support to the point where it's like almost overwhelming like a zombie movie (laughs) (laughs) god i'm so loved and supported it's too much Uh (laughs) oh cool this is trippy (laughs) i like it and then um tell me about this one uh this one i made uh in a workshop with amanda sage um and I was I was sort of thinking of the gravitational pull of relationships and how, you know, even if I'm not like physically with any of them, my heart feels gravitationally tied um, and pulled so that there's that that um, spiritual connection wherever I am um, in the way that um, you may not always see the moon, but it's always having an effect. So that's why where this painting is called tidal heart, like the tides. Mm. Um, and, uh, so it it just, uh, it it really felt like, um, like in the way that gravity works, um, those, those hearts are like also pulling on, on my heart. Um, and it's like a system that functions with, with that gravity. Oh, there's a lot more thought to that picture than (laughs) I would have initially thought just looking at it. And (laughs) it's interesting to hear about like, um, what is going through an artist's mind like when they're creating something is, is that like what was in your mind before you created it or what it, it the um, the thoughts it evoked after it was done mm, yes <laughs> <laughs> a little bit yeah i mean it's a messy process creation yeah. and, and it's like who who can really say what's uh in the subconscious the conscious or like somewhere in between there it's just it's all a big mess yeah <laughs> so god there's a lot to unpack here so you have <laughs> five relationships uh total five yeah and what are okay so what about misconception what are some misconceptions about your relationships that that you Hmm. have to um talk to people about um or or maybe just misconceptions about polyamory in general that you're constantly like having to talk about sure like i mean i think that um a lot of people think of it as a lot more like uh, male centric than it is mm-hmm. um so like they look at our relationship which happens to be you know two wives and a husband and they look at it like um you know like a um like a mormon like polygamous marriage and it's like there's your first wife and there's your second wife i just whatever. watched a show like this on oh, um, what is, i probably have seen it oh yeah it's on netflix i have to look it up but they, it's like in utah and they like blew out the yep. side of a wall we actually have aspirations to go show is and that? visit them oh it's called it's it has a stupid name it's like something like um something wife sister not sister wives um gosh i don't remember the exact title of it but um no we actually <laughs> saw an uncomfortable amount of ourselves in that <laughs> in that show mm-hmm. um so it's basically like that without the patriarchy um so i i definitely saw like found myself when i watched that show thinking like oh my god like my pre-polyamorous self would have watched this show and like been disgusted um and just like absolutely barfed looking at like how uh the whole setup is and 
and you know for somewhat good reason because it is it's pretty patriarchal and obviously like the the men are allowed to have as many um wives as they want. yeah we do really want to visit them um and and talk to, because they're they're a pretty like long-term stable community that makes polygamy work for them yeah it's just they happen to do uh, this it. guy yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that's him <laughs> what does it say what the show Enoch. is called uh, Enoch, yeah. <laughs> that's his name um yep. all i know is <clears throat> i watched this show and i remember thinking like how beautiful of a thing is it to build a community where everybody loves and cares about each other yeah you know and i think that it's so sad how isolated everyone is and like like I don't know, like... There's a lot of love ac- there. I mean, I guess you can accomplish that without everyone having sex with each other, but at the same time, it's like, it doesn't seem to really occur. Like, I don't know. I think these people, in a, in some ways, they have a really good thing going that they have they have lots of friends and family that are all living next to each other, all there helping each other, group yeah. activities all the time. Like, I, I've always thought the idea of living in a commune sounds... Like if it's like the right one, <laughs> yeah. Like it sounds actually pretty amazing. Yeah, we uh, we definitely like flirt with the line of uh, of, of culty cultishness. Um, <laughs> we got uh, we, we got our own aspirations for um, you know the the sort of homestead uh, community living with all our partners together, and um, because there's um, there's two doctors in our communities. Um, in our in our per- personal um, circle, um, we have not been able to have control over where we live very much. Um, so it's been like a really long um, arc of trying to live together, <laughs> mm-hmm. which has had uh, many ups and downs. Um, but ultimately, the goal is it would be really nice for us to all have. Um, some sort of um like community life where we all live in the same place and raise our children together when that whenever that can happen yeah um i think i think this is the show i think it's called three wives yeah that's yeah yeah i don't like the name well you know what my you know what my wife said when we watched the show together her first thought was why is it always got to be a guy with lots of women she's like why can't you have a woman with lots of guys (laughs) and my first instinct my first thought when she said that was well a man can impregnate lots of women at once but a woman can only be impregnated Uh once so if you're looking towards like maximum baby having that's the only thought i could have that (laughs) makes sense at least from a reproductive um point of view but i guess when you're getting at like just for recreation there's no rhyme or reason really other than just like the way that things have been yeah and that's not really a fair way to (laughs) to reason it out yeah I mean, any any gender can offer loving support, and um, uh-huh. for a family, that's that's pretty much all you need. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as far as misconceptions, I would say like yeah, that's sorry probably for the biggest sidetracking. Oh, the whole, the whole thing was like talking about our misconception, which is that like one of the biggest misconceptions is that we're like that show, uh-huh. and that like 
So not like that show. No, I mean, we are and we aren't. Um, okay. We're like that show in that um, we have like multiple loves and um, we uh, have a family together. You with... don't have 16 children. We do not have six. <laughs> we have a, it, well, um, my uh, nuclear family, if you would call it that, um, has one, like I gave birth to one child and then um, the couple that lives in Syracuse has a child. That, so she and I got pregnant at the same, like around the same time. Mm-hmm. So there's like two babies right now, but um, with with plans and intention for more and okay. not from necessarily the same bodies. I wrote down to to define this, actually. You mentioned nuclear family. That means um, core members of a family, like parents and children. So oh, like I, I was reading that the term, it stems from nucleus that has um, origin meanings of just essential only like something essential sure and i mean i don't know that i would i mean it's such a complicated term Uh especially for us and it feels like my first thought when i hear nuclear family is like oh you guys blew up like what does that mean (laughs) well like the nucleus uh, Uh of an atom um and that everything is sort of like a contained system that's like somewhat inseparable is what it's getting at um okay but um you know, and I, I think it's like it's a complicated term to use for our situation because it does feel a little bit like ex- exclusionary. Of like, I think if I would say like our nuclear family, I probably mean those of us who are living together. So myself, uh, my wife, my husband, and our baby, um, and actually um, our brother-in-law. Um, so we all live in the house together, mm-hmm. um, which is not to say that we may not all live in the house together with the Syracuse couple or um, you know any of our other partners. Um, but um, it does feel like there's like at least two houses. Um, and so there's like what does family mean is often sort of thrown around as a question when you have like different cultures depending on where you are yeah kind of actually like um like our house is the add house (laughs) and their house is not um (laughs) um, and that's where like when we went on our like um trip to to visit them if it it was an interesting experiment of living together because i guess we've always thought Though we wouldn't be compatible, the two houses living together, mostly because um, it's like OCD and ADD don't mix. Um, and, and at least one member of their household is like OCD, whereas mm-hmm. like our family is mostly like ADD. Yeah. So one those- person thinks all the things in one room go in a very particular place and the other person is like, fuck it. <laughs> I forget it's there if it's not right in front of my face. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think that part of what made it work and feel so right when we went to visit them was that we didn't bring all our shit with us. Okay. <laughs> um, and so we do like accumulate a lot of stuff because we have like constantly a lot of projects happening. Um, but, um, you know, it, it like occurred to me of like, you know, we wouldn't necessarily have to have two houses next to each other and where like we live in one house and you live in another house. It could be we have two houses next to each other and we like all sleep in one house versus we all do our projects in the other house. So we like keep the chaos in the one side and like the orderliness in the other. Lots of ways to uh, set it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, so misconceptions about your relationships is, um, where were we saying that? Um, you're, you're not, you're not like that family in the documentary. Um, (laughs) what about, um, um, 
not not everybody has an intimate relationship with each other. Right. I think that's, that's another, another key. Big is misconception like, that people probably think about is like, are they all sleeping together? Like, what does that mean? Yeah, and it's so hard to like pin that down because like that aspect of relationships ebbs and flows and changes so much over time that like ev- any given timestamp that you would like ask who's having sex with who um, is like not necessarily. Like, how it just is or always is. Yeah. Um, Because, like, all the relationships ebb and flow. And so, like, um, like for a while, um, actually, like, my wife and my husband had, like, a domestic relationship. um, And, like, uh, like, a loving relationship, but not necessarily, like, a romantic or sexual relationship. Um, But, um, you know, that aspect of the relationship changed over time. And... um, and it was like they we were all planning on getting married before that changed and then somewhere in between the the like engagement and the wedding that changed and it definitely changed the flavor of our relationship because i was sort of like the center of the v and so it turned from feeling more like you know i was trying to balance two competing like interests of people who didn't necessarily like co co intermingle um fully anyway Mm -hmm. and then sort of when that changed it made it feel like a lot more like a stable triangle um and of course like change sort of like throws everything out of balance in any situation it's not necessarily a bad thing it's just something new you have to like learn how to deal with yeah and, and it like you know there's there were aspects of it that for me felt like um uh I like sort of suffered like a loss of attention, but there were also aspects where for me it made things a lot easier because I wasn't having to be the go between anymore. So it's like there, there's like uh, there are pros and cons, and and it's just it what it is what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, thinking about this more, I think misconceptions about not necessarily your relationships, but like polyamory in general, it's maybe that like that the person is. Um, afraid of commitment but i feel like in your in your situation you have had these relationships for a very long time with so many people if if anything you are more um okay with commitment that you're willing to take on so many people (laughs) yeah i uh i joke that um i have a commitment issue or commitment problems in that i commit too much (laughs) i mean not too much but you know what i mean it's like over committer i'm an over committer um or or at least i mean i i I almost have this, like, um, reluctancy to, like, open myself up to any new relationships at this point because it's like, well, shit, like, every relationship I've started at this point has turned into a lifelong, like, deep connection. So, like, I don't know how much more room I've got for that. And, like, I don't know if I can do casual, um, (laughs) like, like, everything is pretty, pretty serious for, for me. Um, it's, it's, um... It's pretty funny just that like I've I've been I've been in five relationships or I am in five relationships that I've never once had a like a breakup or mm-hmm. at least not one that has uh stuck. <laughs> uh-huh. You found a way to uh, o- overcome the issue. Yeah. You've had a all- Yeah. Okay, that's great. Um but do you feel do you ever feel taxed like you're you're stretching yourself too thin there have definitely been times where i have felt that way um uh like there was an era where um the the couple that now lives in syracuse um the the 
wife, who's a doctor, had to um, spend one year in Syracuse, and then she she came back to Seattle for two years. And because it was only one year that she was going to be there and she knew she was coming back, it didn't really make sense for the husband to join her for that year because he already had a stable job. And it wouldn't, like, there wouldn't have been time for him to start something new and then come back just to the same, like, for the same job. And so because it was just one year, like, he stayed back. And so they were separated, which then sort of put me in the position of, um, trying to fill her role for both my husband and him, mm-hmm. which was like, I'm already trying to juggle all of these other relationships. And now I have to like fill this hole that she's left. And that was, that was a time that was pretty stressful for me. Um, because everybody had like all of these, um, needs and I could only, it's like, I, I had to like just make it explicit and say like, look, I can do my best to like be me for you, but I can't be me and her for you mm-hmm. at the same time. <laughs> and meanwhile, throughout all of this, now you have a 17 month old child. <laughs> yeah. So before we get into that, what were the conversations like with your husband about bringing a kid into this world, given the five relationships that you have concurrently? Uh, well, so he and I had always intended to have children. Okay. Um, but none of your re- relationship dynamics and how they changed, it didn't um, impact that line of thinking for him in any way. Because no. I think I think the the concern might be wanting to have some kind of environment that is stable for the child and would, and just maybe not necessarily from him, but maybe from like your average person. It's just like, will we be able to give this kid a, I don't know, a, 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 an environment that is stable. But I think that you've kind of had already proven that to each other because of how long you had been together. Yeah. Well, and also, um, that the conversation of children had been um like on the table from the beginning with every relationship and because we are so um upfront about everything um like when we initiated the relationship with that couple like we all talked about the fact that we were all interested in having children so from the beginning with the relationship with the couple um that um the other woman and i had always sort of talked about the idea of being pregnant at the same time. Oh. And okay. so we planned our lives around that and around her schedule as a doctor and around his schedule as a doctor. So, so did, did that happen? Yeah, yeah. So oh. so um we have like two pretty similarly aged children oh, um, cool. at this point. Yeah. Um and so then um when our wife came into the picture, um sort of we we were dating her in Minnesota. And when we all up and left for Seattle because the two doctors um, had to move here for residency, she was not ready to move at the time. So that's where we sort of like had a breakup. But then over time, we talked and talked and realized that we did want to share life together. And so it was important for her that she really wanted to move out here um, to be with us before we had kids because she wanted to be there like at the at the conception and to be there before we already settled into our life as a family Mm -hmm. so that's where maybe her um move out here was i wouldn't want to say like necessarily rushed but like she put her move on the timetable of wanting to be here to start a family with us so it was all like it's all been planned around the family as opposed to sort of the family trying to fit into the gaps of the relationship the relationships are like premeditated upon the idea of the family. Okay. 
Wow, that's amazing. I I think that this is such an interesting topic to me because the the research that I've done around polyamory and kids usually what a lot of people will say is just don't have them like it's too complicated but i love hearing from someone that has uh so far they found a way to uh successfully make it work within the relationship that they have and so i think you know it's really interesting to hear um how you're doing it so far um you know <laughs> You say that your partner moved uh, to Seattle, or your wife. Something that I read when I was reading about the benefits of having a polyamorous family, I read this article. Um, here, let me sh- let me show you. You might have seen it, but it's called Polyamorous Parenting, The Surprising Benefits of the Ultimate Modern Family. And one of the examples in here, I think it's right here in the beginning, but basically it says... Um, this woman, she went into labor, she had to have a C-section, uh, the baby was born, wasn't breathing, and the wife told the husband to go with the doctor to the resuscitation room and, like, monitor what's going on and report back kind of thing. Meanwhile, his, their partner, which was uh, a woman, stayed with her and, like, comforted her in the situation, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, like, yeah, that's right, like, in a monogamous relationship it's like the guy goes and then she's just there by herself and it's like little things like that i think probably show up in a polyamorous relationship all the time where you if you're all in it together where like you can you have a stronger support network Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. for sure and i think like that do you feel like you have that with the wife yeah i think for sure um when when we're functioning well um and when we're when our communication is when we're on our game um with our communication um it flows really well and we're allowed we're able to um sort of pass responsibility back and forth in a way that like ebbs and flows naturally and suits us for our abilities to um like do our own thing when we want to i can work on my art she can work on her art mm-hmm. um uh like when i have the baby she can um like work on these masks insert plug for our synaptic art masks um <laughs> that she sews and i designed cool. um, uh, or that i um i was wondering where yeah that it's, came uh, from. it's like, my Ooh. art on fabric and she sews them it's kind of hypnotic i'm like <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and uh and so it like it allows us to fulfill our lives in um in gratifying ways um while also having the child taken care of now mm-hmm. the flip side of that is if our communication game is off um then um we either are like um uh like stressed out about um like either putting an imposition upon each other um or um like we uh we like both want we either both want the, the to spend time with the child at the same time or we both want to be doing our own thing at the same time and then there's a clash of like who does it? Who takes one for the team? Yeah, um, and and I think that like that's where the sort of like emotional um, uh, jujitsu of um, of being able to like sit with your own negative thoughts and and like do the emotional alchemy of like 
not looking at them in a negative light and not like telling the wrong story. Like if you are able to like see their needs and see your needs not as like conf- conflicting but like as complementary and like loving loving it all then it's easier to like get through that and mm-hmm. i think that's where like the the maybe like benefit of having like the default choosing number 6 on the sandwich menu um gives you the like ability to not have to talk about it because you like have those roles already divided and you know like Oh, um, my, my default expectation is that you fulfill these roles and you fulfill those roles and we don't have to talk about it, but because we're not like following a script and we don't necessarily have a whole lot of role models or like defaults of expectations, everything is a conversation. And like, unless you talk about it really openly and, um, really explicitly, then it it can, it can become problematic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So communication is key. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm going to give you the option. Would you rather talk about uh, benefits of polyamorous parenting first or concerns? <laughs> We're going to talk about them both. I think this we should. Which one first. Yeah, Unless okay. you don't want to. No, I do. Um, but what, what, okay, what, um, what do you feel more like talking about? <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's get the concerns out of the way first. Okay. And we'll talk about the benefits. Yeah. And, and on a high note. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so some of the concerns that I saw in that article I showed you is they said, um, I, maybe I can mention the bullet points and then you could, if you have anything to chime in about how it relates to your life or your relationships, can we do it like, like that? So, um, um, let's see, it says offering uh, support to multiple people can be a challenge, um, the more people you're invested in, potentially the more support you need to give, which I guess gets back to what we were saying earlier, that you could be stretched too thin. I think we covered that. Mm-hmm. Um, clashing over parenting styles. So does your wife, do you, does you and your wife ever, um, or your husband, I mean, that's, that's, that's already a thing yeah. between like a husband <laughs> and a wife. Like maybe I want something, my wife wants something, and they're different. It's like, For sure. <laughs> it's just, but now it's that compounded with potentially a third or a fourth or a a fifth yeah. person, right? I would say we really lucked out in that we have pretty similar parenting styles, um, mm-hmm. or at least amongst uh, our household. And I think that there is a, there was a little bit of like clashing between the parenting styles of our household and their household. Mm-hmm. Um, for a while, we were watching um, the the other couple's child um, while um, they both went to work, um, and so there were some clashes about like. Just like the their style versus our style, um, we are like maybe more on the like like hippie like free flow style, and they are a little bit more regimented, as you would expect out of like OCD versus like ADD household. Um, and um, so, th- I mean, there were some clashes there, but as far as like within our personal family. Um, uh, my my wife and I first of all do um, like more of the hands on parenting than our husband does, and so we our our style often ends up being the one we do. Um, but like that's nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is like if you, if you do it, if you're yeah. the one doing the parenting, you're the one defining how you do it. Right? Yeah. Um. And and but that's not to say that there haven't been like a little bit of clashes within that. Um. In terms of like, I'm trying to think about what do people tend to like, get into <laughs> arguments about. Probably like, 
Uh, whether the kid's going to be like religious or something. Oh, I don't yeah, know. definitely not a clash for us. Not uh, an issue it was for not you. an issue for us. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I think one of the more recent ones that came up for us is that our um, our toddler is getting um, uh, kind of like violent, uh, mm-hmm. or like he he like lashes out and like pulls the dog's hair and. Yeah. and um, and just how to how to respond to that? Yeah, and, what's the appropriate? And honestly, like none of us or, really know. Uh, yeah. So um, it's like there's like modeling appropriate behavior. Um, there's how you respond when it actually happens. There's like just accepting that this is a phase that he'll grow out of, um, and a lot of different approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's maybe been like the the most salient one within our household that's come up. Okay. Um, another potential concern that they were mentioning about polyamorous uh, parenting is that, and I don't think this is as applicable to you because you've had some very long-term uh, relationships, but um, that and haven't really experienced breakups. But I guess in polyamory, um, I guess theoretically uh, there'd be more people to say goodbye to more frequently. And the article says, um, "No kid." is well-raised in a shifting community of NRE junkies. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. <laughs> um, but I, so I think that could be true, but it could also not be true. It depends on the uh-huh. people and the, the relationship dynamics, right? Yeah. Well, I want to do, like, a little shout-out to, like, O-R-E, because... Um, What's O-R-E? <laughs> I, I think I just coined that term. I don't know if anybody else uses that, but, Old like, relationship. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, like, there is just, like, so much to be said. Like, I feel like there, like people talk about N-R-E a lot. Interesting. And, um, and that's, like, this super, like, like high-octane ad- addicting feeling. Mm-hmm. But, like, um, I just want to, like send out a moment of appreciation for old relationship energy which like really lets you feel like safe comforted secure um at home and like there's just like so much about that energy i find that feeling (laughs) comparable to like visiting a new city and seeing like places to eat that you're familiar with you're like oh yeah like worst case scenario i can always get a starbucks you know (laughs) it may not be the best coffee but i know it yeah (laughs) i don't know yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess, it, again, in, like, in every family, there are people who come and go. Like, I was just watching, um, like, baby childhood videos of, like, when I was a child, and mm-hmm. um, there were family friends who I was like, you know, Mom, like, these people look like they were, like, heavily in our life, and I also have no memory of them, so, like, yeah. what happened? Like, yeah. who, are, who are they? <laughs> who are yeah. they? Yeah, and, and so it's just interesting because you can have falling outs with people who are like just really good friends Mm -hmm. as well it's just the concern i guess is when you have a child in the picture that perhaps that a child can't somehow handle the idea of bringing in a person to then take them away like what is that concern because people um i mean this happens in uh like single parent homes where they start dating and they're like how soon is too soon for him or her to meet my child uh-huh. right like that kind of thing like is is the mentality that children are not capable of the idea that a romantic partner may not be around long term like what is that yeah i don't know to me that reads as like another attempt at shielding our hearts from pain 
uh-huh. which just doesn't feel possible. Like, um, like telling your kids that you'll never die, you'll always be there. Yeah, it's, it's like, like there's of, no fucking guarantees in life. There just uh-huh. really aren't. Um, and and then it's getting into like helicopter, like helicopter <laughs> parenting or coddling. Like how old is how how young is too young to be real with your child and i think this is interesting to me too because i just had a child and it's like when do you tell your kid you know santa's not real when do you like tell them them the truth about things i i'm very interested in that i don't know yeah i don't know the answer to that (laughs) and i think that we like you were saying earlier it's like there there are the combo meals on the board like you just you look to you look in your environment and you're like this is how things are done in society i guess i'll do it this way because that's what other people do but is that the right way i right. don't know <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah i think it's 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 important to sit with the questions yeah just even asking the questions themselves is, yeah is like most of the work <laughs> so okay well let's talk about you you have a 17 month old kid um all your partners are around your you would bring all your partners around your kid because sure. you've you've developed this strong relationship with them. Um, say your kid is five years old and you get partner number six. Um, like, would you let that partner be in the kid's life immediately? Like, or would you? How long do you think? You, maybe it's not about the time, but more so like how you feel about the partner and however long it takes to get to a certain point. Yeah. But what is that predicated on? Man, I don't even know if that's necessarily something that I've put a whole lot of thought into at this at this point. I know, I'm just trying to Yeah, no, I think it's a good you. it's a good question. Um Yeah. And I think I guess my my instinct would would be um that it's it's better to have loved and lost. <laughs> yeah. Um Well, what would you say to a kid if one of What would you say to your kid if one of the his favorite partners in his life just had to just disappeared and decided I'm, I'm out? Um, How would you explain that? Well, I mean, I think it it would kind of, like, depend, right? Like, let's say that, like, the partner and I decided that we weren't right for each other, but that there was still a, like, a love between my child and that person. I would like to think that I would allow the child to still have the relationship with that person and, Mm -hmm. like, still have calls or visits um, if it was important to them. Um, It almost sounds like something that's monogamous people seem to be incapable of doing which is sticking around after the breakup yeah it's is, like or do you think polyamorous uh, people are more likely to be able to to have some kind of platonic relationship afterwards because of their ability to communicate better or i i would like to think so yeah. I, I mean i'd like to think that like at least polyamorous people are more like accepting of the various gr- gray area nuances of relationships mm. and that things don't have to um like be on this like black and white binary all or nothing all or nothing binary yeah um and i would like to respect my child's relationships as separate from mine and so i think that if my child like felt a bond or a relationship with somebody that i didn't have a relationship with i would help foster their relationship outside of me having that relationship if it was important to them yeah well that's good I think maybe what ends up happening is one parent maybe puts the feelings of themselves above their child because they don't want to see that person they broke up with anymore. Mm-hmm. And that means I don't care if the kid wants to see them. I don't want to see them. And I know if my kid sees them, I'm going to have to see them yeah. again. Well, I, think, like, I think there's something to that. That's there, what's that happening. That's true. And I mean, I think that there there is something to be said for like, if it was like hard and traumatic enough of a breakup that like it's just not healthy for either of you to be seeing each other yeah like at that point 
you know, it's sad, but like it's healthier for everybody to have some space from yeah. each other, and that's just how life yeah. fucking goes sometimes. And maybe in some ways that's good for the kid to learn early. Yeah, I mean, I mean why are we saying that go. a young kid can't learn that? I yeah. don't know. <laughs> we, I think it's just we just try to protect them from everything. Yeah. But maybe we overprotect. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, here's the big one. Uh, a, a concern that people have about polyamorous parenting is uh, jealousy and how that affects the relationship, and which could potentially lead to the breakups, I guess. So uh, wait, whose jealousy are we talking about here? <laughs> um, well, any of the partners that are involved uh, together. Uh-huh. Well, it's like while there is a kid being raised. Um, I, I mean, I guess if you could take a step back and say that you know jealousy is an issue could potentially be an issue in a polyamorous relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but how could that then negatively impact? Um, raising a child where i guess the the answer to that would be if a partner ends up leaving because of it um sure i guess that's similar to the last question yeah it's it it is you're right um Uh, but you know what we haven't really got into is you personally with have you experienced jealousy has uh your partner experienced jealousy how do you guys deal with those those feelings is it normal is it normal to feel it um and and it's not something that we're supposed to try to overcome or like wh- how what's your relationship with jealousy so i think that actually is a good point that we missed in the misconceptions okay. is i think that the misconceptions are that when you are polyamorous you either completely transcend jealousy or it is like a cornerstone of your relationship mhm And I would say that, um, you know, jealousy is a feeling just like any other feeling that we all experience from day to day for any reason. And, um, you know, I've had times where, like, myself or my wife have been, like, you know, jealous of the time that my husband spends at work. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, So there's that. But also... You can be jealous of things other than a partner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, I, I have, um, like felt jealousy towards other partners. Um, and I think that the key is that, um, I think in monogamous relationships, jealousy is often seen as like, as having more like actionable validity to it. Whereas it's something that needs to be heard. It is something that needs to be heard and acted upon, but the action is not outward. The action is it's jealousy is always telling you what you need and it often has a a circumscribed way of doing it it'll tell you that you um that the per the other person is the reason why you're upset but really the other person just highlighting something you wish you had or Mm -hmm. you feel some kind of insecurity yeah if you're feeling totally secure in your relationship realistically you're probably not going to feel so super jealous um when somebody else comes around but often jealousy is saying this is something that you're missing in your relationship and so if you're really good at navigating jealousy you you just like you sit with the feeling for a moment first and so i think it's very important to sit with your feelings for at least a little bit before you share them and sometimes you do sometimes you don't but if you sit with it and then you ask it what it wants and you love the feeling, you you sit there with the jealousy, and it sucks, and it feels bad, but you say, I love what you are doing to protect me. 
And what your jealousy is doing to protect you is it's saying there is something that's missing mm-hmm. and so a need that's not being met. And so you ask it what need is not being met. And maybe what that need is, is to feel wanted or to feel like your time is important. And so rather than coming to your partner and saying, like, I hate that you have this partner that you care about so much more than me, yeah. you go to them and you say, you know, I've noticed that I was having feelings about this other partner and it made me notice in myself that I don't feel like my time is being valued and that I need to feel like loved and respected by you. And maybe there's something that we can do together to make that feeling feel more real in us. So like a common maybe scenario here would be your partner gets a new partner and then they are experiencing NRE together mm-hmm. and then the old partner that's not a part of that feels jealous that their their partner's having that experience. Um, and so they can use that in a productive way to realize that they want to have those feelings as well from the, from their old partner or from a new, maybe it's just, it's pointing out that in su- that that's something that they need as well. And the, that's what the insecurity is. Yeah. It's all, it's all love, right? It's like, it's sharp, pointy love. It's like, it's angry, sad, hurt love, but it's all love. And so I think that as the person expressing the feeling, if you can express it in a way that sort of like highlights and like centers the love, that's the best thing you can do. And as the person listening to the feeling, if you can be with the feeling and not get defensive and hear the love underneath, that's the best thing that you can do. And I know that I personally have responded well and I've responded poorly and I've also expressed it well and expressed it poorly. Yeah. And I think like you just you try your best to focus on the love center the love and hear the love yeah and i think by by being thinking that way it's like you see the request from your partner not as you know an attack but more so just like trying to work on the relationship in some way if they didn't love you they wouldn't feel jealous yeah (laughs) which is also like that's a bit that's a dangerous line to go down right because Mm -hmm. oh the more jealous they feel the more they love me like and that's its own danger but every feeling is coming from a place of love because if they didn't feel anything for you they wouldn't i think it is true though that it's a big misconception about in polyamory you're trying to um, eradicate jealousy it's kind of reminds me of meditation in the sense that like a lot of people misconstrue that they think meditation means having no thoughts but more so maybe allowing the thoughts to pass through you mm-hmm. and being able to address those thoughts in a healthy way it's like letting jealousy kind of like let the feeling arise like notice it see like what is it trying to teach you and let it pass through you it's very similar exactly exactly right yeah (laughs) interesting but easier said than done yeah for sure for sure it's like we all need our own like maintenance like the other day like um i went and did a breath medicine ceremony and i came back and i found myself in a situation where i was like well shit like my old self like a, a, a version of me that wasn't like being as grounded would respond to this poorly. Like I came home and I had had my wife and husband watching the child while I was doing the ceremony. 
um, they like both had a pretty stressful time because he was crying a lot. So I come home and they're both pretty crabby. A past me would have, or at least like a, a not actively grounded me would have um, immediately felt guilty and defensive because I was the reason that they had to watch the child. They watched the child. They had a bad time. Now it's my fault. And I am too defensive to be able to be loving and supportive. And that sucks. <laughs> yeah. And that cycles because then they're like, well, in addition to making me watch child, now you're mad at me and now you're not supportive and whatever. And it just cycles. Whereas like this time I had like just done this spiritual thing and I felt grounded and I felt like disconnected from um, my, uh, I mean, not necessarily disconnected from my ego, but I felt uncontrolled by my ego. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I allowed those feelings and I saw the love through them. And then I was able to just like, like do everything that I could do to be supportive and just try my best to be supportive. And it was like, damn, why can't I just do this this way all the time? (laughs) But it's just, it was a reminder of like, you know what? We just need to like constantly be doing our own spiritual maintenance for the others. Because if if I'm not doing my own spiritual maintenance with myself, if I don't work on myself, then that comes out to you. And the best thing I can do for you is work on me. Yeah. And just remember that we're human. Like, it's you're not going to be perfect. It's like you're trying to remember to do these things. But sometimes I feel like our reptilian brain takes over. And that's kind of like yeah. where jealousy <laughs> comes from. But, yeah. um, you know, thinking back again for me about um, when I went through the cheating uh, with my first wife, I think about, like, what kind of feelings did that evoke? It made me feel like uh, she wanted to be with this person instead of me. But I wonder if we had had, um, you know, things had gone differently, if perhaps it was set up in a different way where, like, um, she wanted to be with somebody else in a uh, just because they're different, but not in, as a replacement. Mm-hmm. But I think that cheating can kind of like cause a lot of trauma to where then you see everyone as a threat. Like, like another person represents a replacement, not mm-hmm. as, oh, um, trying something else that's self-care for, the, for your partner. Uh-huh. Um, but I think that over time, the more that I've thought about this is if... I think one of the ways that I personally address jealousy in my mind and the way I've I've tried to work on it is if your partner chooses somebody else to replace you um you're probably better off <laughs> right like cuz you everyone deserves to be with a person that chooses you mm-hmm. um and and that that it's okay that it there's there's like 7 billion people out there. Like, it's not like there's only one person that could ever, um, you couldn't, that you, there's only one, it's not like there's only one person you could have a happy relationship Mm -hmm. with. And I think, um, like, those are the two things I remind myself, that there's always someone else that you could be happy with and that your partner um, should choose you and that if they don't choose you, then you're better off. And so those two things are are kind of like what I think about to to try to, to, that's what I thought about to try to process the trauma of being cheated on to think about like my partner having well, like in the current uh, marriage that I'm in, it is a monogamous relationship, but like she has friends that are men and I have friends that are women. And that's what I think about when they have conversations or hang out is that um, 
that it ultimately like she is an independent person and she has to choose me and I am an independent independent person and I have to choose her mm-hmm. and um I don't know anyway I'm just thinking about how do I address jealousy when I feel that like it like erupting inside me about about a person mm-hmm. I don't know I don't yeah know it's like on. well I think you're highlighting that like it doesn't matter what like structure or rules you have in your relationship jealousy is just a, a blanket feeling yeah. it's just like he, you can't get around it like humans just feel it yeah like it doesn't matter what happens and and it's like well it's you know, like it's defining a threat and then i'm like trying to address my mind and say well is it a threat though i don't think it's a threat yeah back to that like byron katie of like is it true can yeah. i undef whatever the other word is like can i can i definitively know that for sure that it's true mm-hmm. and it's you know ultimately you, you can't and you don't <laughs> yeah and i i think another part of that is remembering that everyone is different that like you can't use one experience in your life to extrapolate and say everyone's going to treat treat me or my partners is going to treat me the way that another person did like mm-hmm. you have to give it i feel like i try to give everyone the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. um Anyway, um, negative comments from friends or um, family. Have you dealt with anything um, regarding like tolerance of your relationships? Have you gone through that with your yeah. family? Or? Well, I think like thankfully we've all had we all have pretty supportive family, um, and it's it's I've been really grateful that our families have all been so supportive of our relationships and our choices. That's surprising to me. Yeah. (laughs) Just because I would expect older generations to not understand this. Yeah. Do you, do you see, know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, I think that, um, for, you know, for some of, for some of them, it took some time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there was like, you know, some adjustment of like not understanding, um, and, um, and like needing to work through some of the questions. Yeah. Um, but I felt like along the way, um, everybody had been coming from a position of, um, you know, loving us and caring for us. And their questions, you know, were all coming from a place of, of wanting to make sure that we were happy. Um, I, I had like um, an aunt whose biggest concern, because she um, had had a divorce, so her biggest concern was actually for my wife. Um, so when we said we were going to get married, her concern was that my wife wouldn't be legally supported. Yeah, if, which if is we another thing going. I wanted to talk about yeah. is like a lot of people, the only like the main reason they're getting married is for some of the rights that are granted, the legal protections that I guess. This is something they bring up in that show on Netflix, which is like, um, you know, the one person on paper is protected, right. but then everyone else is like a ghost. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it one of the things that I've had to work through is like, you know, just as the, th- the things that I have to work through as um, like a, a white person of privilege in the world, I can't see the... Uh, the privileges that I have because it makes the struggles invisible to me unless like I am told of them and, and hear them. And so I've uh, found that in the same way where I had to learn that as a white person, I walk around with s- certain privileges that others don't have access to. I've also had to like come around to the idea that like 
I get to live life with a certain um, sense of security because I'm the one legally married um, that she doesn't have. And so um, to the extent that I can either provide like emotional reassurance um, and have like conversations or like even um, like legal reassurance where um, like her, uh, her father's a lawyer. And so he, um, feels really strongly that he wants to like help set her up with as much like legal support as he can. And so like when we recently, um, visited her parents, I, I, I felt like I was getting this like aggressive vibe from mm-hmm. him. Um, it was like, almost like, you know, it when comes you, from a place of love. It comes from a place of love. Yeah. It was like when I, when you're like the boyfriend, you come to the house and the dad's got like a shotgun or something, Yeah, yikes. Uh, <laughs> which like, it obviously wasn't that far, but like, I definitely felt like an energy of like, Oh, like your protectiveness of her is like being directed at me. And I'm not often in that position. And it yeah. felt really weird. I had to like work through it and like, no, 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 he's just, he loves her and he's trying to protect her. And, I have to recognize that, like, I inherently have those protections, whereas she doesn't. So he's, like, her attack dog. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well. There's a lot to take. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, So I think, I think, you know, there's, there's all these different concerns um, that people have with uh, polyamorous parenting, but they are not, um, they are not um, concerns that can't be overcome because clearly you're doing it. Um, oh, I think another one that I didn't bring up, but um, but I think it's kind of like an obvious uh, solution, which is uh, STDs. But I guess it's oh like... Oh, my God. Is, is that an obvious solution or It no? is not an obvious oh, solution. I spoke too soon. <laughs> well, I have heard that in some polyamorous like uh, relationships... Like, like there's like a primary couple that doesn't want to use condoms, and then they're like, you have to use condoms with everyone else, yeah. And then that becomes like well, a source like this, of conflict. Like, concept of like fluid bonding is hard. Um, it's, I mean, I, I think the best thing I can say is that everybody now is having to experience what we've been having to experience our whole lives because everybody's in COVID, right? Mm-hmm. And so, a handshake is now requiring the level of consent that like a blowjob does yeah or used to right i can't even imagine dating right now in the sense that like even kissing a a stranger feels like a risk yeah like (laughs) like you know you and i like we're taking like a minimal risk right now because we're both wearing masks and everything but we're still taking somewhat of a risk and so like everything is in this like weird area that like our we've dealt with it like for years it's always like you got to mitigate risk and like you have to like balance what is important enough that's like worth it to you to take that risk um and and some you know sometimes it's like really traumatic (laughs) Mm -hmm. but like if you all love each other and you all like like consent to the risks that you're taking like you get through it together like yeah i think that we probably experienced like one of the more traumatic experiences with stds where i had never had one in my whole life up until one week before i gave birth oh yeah um what'd you do because apparently pregnancy makes you more vulnerable to these sorts of things and so while nobody had had any like new risk profile per se we neglected the fact that pregnancy like minimizes your ability to um like have an immunity or protect yourself um 
And so, um, yeah, probably like one of the most traumatic things that happened to me in my life was hearing um, in my 41st week of pregnancy that yes, in fact, that is herpes and no, in fact, that is not compatible with a natural birth. And so I I what does that mean? Um, I had to have a C-section because, um, if it, if a child passes through the the birth canal and does contract it, that can be fatal. Um, yeah. So I was like gearing up and, and ready for, um, having like, like I had read all of the, these books about like, um, like a spiritual birth, uh, ecstatic, orgasmic birth yeah. and like i did you were like, kind of all, bummed out that you i was like prepared it. for the experience as much as you could be um from like a spiritual standpoint but i just like i was not prepared like the one thing that i didn't prepare for was being completely like at a loss of like having absolutely no control over the situation and like being in the hospital for 10 days and having like uh shots every four like my child had to get like a prophylactic shot every oh, four hours really? um because of it and everyone had to wear masks um so it was a whole thing um it shook things up a lot and uh and for me what i did was i made art out of it like um that the the like painting that uh you, you can't show for for like facebook algorithm reasons but that that was me processing my birth trauma oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> As an aside, isn't it crazy though how fast they can get the baby out once they start? The oh C-section my god, it was operation? nothing. It was just like holy. Because my wife went through that. I watched it happen. <laughs> I was just like, I feel like they had like a like a Daytona 500 pit crew in right. the room. They're like, hey guys, all right, we're all here to do this thing. Uh, here's what I do. Here's what I do. You guys ready? And they just like they're like I I remember they like were like poking at her and they're like, can you feel that? She's like, no. They're like, she's ready, and they just yeah. cut, cut into her, and then like in t- like two, three minutes, like the baby was out. And I'm like, oh my god, right. like, it's really fast. I think that too highlighted of like I was expecting an experience, and I felt like I was denied that experience. Yeah. And the irony was that I had like a, more of an experience that I than I would have otherwise because yeah. it was more painful for me to not have the experience than it would have been to have it. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody's got to have, you know, their story. <laughs> it was an experience. It's just not the experience that you had signed up for. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's, let's pivot to uh, benefits. What are the benefits of polyamorous parenting that you have experienced? Uh, many. Um, I mean, part of it is, um, just that um you have more time to live your life the way that you wanted to and i think i've always viewed myself as someone who would be more than just a mom um i think i um i grew up having um like see, seeing my mom feel somewhat consumed by the motherhood role mm-hmm. um and it wasn't until later in life that she like found a career that she was passionate about and it like it made me so happy to see her fulfilled and happy that I kind of told myself, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be consumed by the role of motherhood. Mm-hmm. And so I think what this allows me to, to do and to have is to, like, be more of who I am and to fulfill more aspects of myself. Yeah. Something that I was reading is that parenting was more of a community effort in the past 
and that system has kind of become eroded. And so, like, polyamorous parenting kind of allows for, like, more people to be there as a community to raise a child, (laughs) whereas, like, maybe it used to be that way. It's not so much anymore. I guess some... Some families, the way they deal with this um, is they have, like, grandparents trying to pitch in to try to help out with some of the workload. Um, But maybe that's not an option for everyone um, for one reason or another. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, beyond beyond just having, like, extra people to help out, like, it's it's not just helping out um, physically with the baby, but there's also, like, things such as, like, uh, financially and emotional support, and, yeah. like, there's there's other aspects to it than just another person physically there. Right. Well, and even, um, like, with complex decisions, it's it's helpful to, have, to be able to have so many perspectives, and I think we um, are really privileged in that we have two doctors in our family, um, and so, you know, serious questions that have to do with like what is the best medical decision for the child is something that we can all share our experience about and have a conversation about and come to an answer that we feel good about. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would imagine that if you have more different types of personalities for a child to learn from that, that's that would only be a positive as long as they're, positive forces in the child's life and then you're saying uh multiple opinions could perhaps create like a more accurate group think yes answer like Mm -hmm. one person's like maybe we do this and another person's like maybe we do that and it becomes like a better combined answer exactly i see (laughs) okay um well are there any other uh benefits that come to mind for you that you've noticed in your relationship I think uh I think one that I saw uh online is that um if you have multiple children then the children have more people to play with I guess. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, and I think um that's maybe something too that we have a leg up on um specifically with regards to COVID is um we have a a, a bigger bubble of a, like a pod that we are in and so if you have to quarantine with your like inner circle Mm -hmm. we happen to have a pretty big inner circle yeah so it doesn't really feel like you're having to give a whole lot up yeah and granted we are just as everybody is but i think like we went from like running an enormous community center where we saw like hundreds of people every day to now we're going down to our inner circle which is granted a large inner circle so we went from, like, here yeah. to here, and yeah. other people went from, like, here to here. Well, there's some people that I... I mean, I have friends that are single, and they're just like, guess I'm with my cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm just, like, I'm really grateful that we have it set up where, like, our little quarantine pod is, like, really filled with love. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you mentioned earlier energy levels that, like, you're able to have more time to, like fulfill your um, artistic pursuits or career pursuits and it's like if it's just like one or two people focusing on the child that you can get burnt out and so I think for me that is a that's a big benefit that you have a lot of people that are all working together towards a common goal um, 
And it's like, I don't know, it seems like a win-win. It's like you guys like each other, you like spending time with each other, you're helping each other fulfill your sexual desires, your your friendship desires, your desire to raise a child together. Like, it seems like as long as everyone is having their needs met and it's like, why not? I guess. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but I think that um, it's, I don't know. I, I think about it though. And personally, it still sounds hard to pull off. I think that the starting of going down that path is absolutely difficult. And I don't know that I've heard of anybody who's like, seamlessly transitioned into polyamory without like a lot of emotional uh ups and downs mm-hmm. um and i think like you know we've gotten to a pretty stable point in our polyamory and um even us we have like our own uh emotional trials and tribulations that we have to go through and so i would say while like the destination that we've currently arrived to feels really stable and like sweet and and pretty full of benefits um it, it wasn't without it's, it, it's, it's it, it wasn't perfect yeah it, it, it like we've we put a shitload of work into this yeah um we've all we've all put so much emotional investment and so much of ourselves into building this life for ourselves um that yeah it can be beautiful and it can be like just really uh win-win for all of us mm-hmm. but that's not without a lot that's not that we got there without a lot of work <laughs> but i think pretty much everything in life uh nothing good comes easy yeah yeah so it's like you ha- it's if you have to work for it i think that's not a problem um a few more benefits real quickly that i saw online from this article that i thought it'd be interesting to mention um and i know that your kid right now is 17 months old and not really hasn't grown up that much but um according to this research kids learn a lot about um valuable communication and relationship skills from polyamorous parents um and that this can translate into having like a higher degree of maturity self-confidence self-reliance better uh interpersonal skills um so i guess they're they're modeling you know hypothetically how their parents are acting which can be good for the kid um also it says that kids get to see a different relationship style than monogamy. Um, and so they learn at an early age not to make assumptions about what's normal. And mm-hmm. so they learn this like uh, critical thinking tool where they, they're like, okay, there isn't a normal or abnormal. There's just a, a more common and less common. Right. And I think critical thinking is an invaluable uh, you know, tool to instill into your child. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I look forward to um, seeing my child or children turning into really um, emotionally resilient people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and yeah, I would like to think that they would be able to see that anything that they want is uh, is an option. <laughs> One of the pushbacks about this topic that I saw is people were like, "But if you." If you're polyamorous and you have kids, are they going to become polyamorous too? <laughs> like it's a bad thing to become polyamorous. Uh-huh. Have you heard that? Yeah, and actually, it's kind of funny um, because I use my uh, brother-in-law as sort of an example for that because he okay. basically—I um, don't think—I think he's like seven years younger than us. 
so he and and I've known him since he was seven. Um, <laughs> and so he's basically grown up with polyamory as like a pretty strong influence in his life. Mm. And he definitely considered it. Um, but at the moment, he's in a monogamous relationship, as is my wife's sister. Um, whereas like my sister's in somewhat of a polyamorous relationship. So it's like we've got like three sibling examples, two of which turned out to be monogamous at the moment and one of which is currently not. And and so like, you know, you can use that as a parallel to children of like people who like have had heavily influ- been heavily influenced by our relationships and I think they all at least were granted the opportunity to um decide if that was what they wanted or not and they didn't all cheat like yeah. more than they yeah more often than not they didn't <laughs> yeah so i think we need to give kids more credit yeah that they can become their own person and it's not you know parenting doesn't like define what your kid will be yeah yeah um for sure so where where can people go online if they're interested in learning more about polyamorous parenting? Do you have any resources that you would recommend? Any YouTube videos or books or anything that comes to mind? Um, as far as polyamorous parenting, um, there are some Facebook groups. Mm. Um, there, like, there's one that's like uh, there. There's actually like polyamorous families in Seattle. I don't actually remember what it's called, but I think if you search a lot of the like keywords for like um, polyamorous families on Facebook, there are like groups for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know of books, but they're just for just like poly in, in general. general. Um, I don't know that there's a good poly book I could recommend. Um, unfortunately, it's it's it feels like we're on. Uh, like the front of a wave right? yeah. like that we we kind of got in on the ground floor and there aren't not that, a lot of it's info. not a big um pool of people to draw on i this. found a community on on reddit called poly families that i guess people will talk about stuff on here but it's mostly just memes yeah <laughs> and well, like, and and like there's some interesting stories on here that i've been reading about but yeah i've also found that like reddit doesn't feel as like community full as like okay. facebook groups because it's like it's not a container oh. whereas like the facebook group you can get to know who's in there and like start to like especially if it's like a local group you okay. can kind of like get a feel for like who's in the group and like over time get to know it whereas like reddit kind of comes in and out so it's hard to like get a sense of like which families are regularly like contributing to the subreddit Mm, i see but it is it, it is good for like sort of like broader questions gotcha okay well um Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having um, me. Is there anything that you would like to say to the viewers out there that we haven't addressed that you'd like to get off get off your chest? Hmm. Um. I, I feel like I should let's just like plug my stuff. Yeah, go ahead. Um. So you can follow Synaptic Art um, on Facebook. Um. Or go to synaptic-art.com for my uh, my art. Um, I also welcome new friend requests. Um, I am pretty open about my life and open to questions. So I totally welcome any questions that people have for me. Um, and I'm pretty active on Facebook too. Natalie. Yeah. (laughs) There it is. Yep. All right. 
Well, um, Natalie, thanks for being on the show. I yeah. have learned a lot about, um, about polyamorous parenting that I did not know. Um, it definitely seems to me like it is um, more realistic than I initially thought. Um, if I'm being honest, like I think that before this interview, the way that I saw it as incompatible, really, yeah. because of the things and the messaging that I've received in my life, that the whole concept of marriage is to create... I mean, this is just the programming that I've yeah. received from the outside world, is that you know you get married to create some kind of structure so that when you have kids, the kids have an environment that protects them and teaches them how to be a functioning human before you, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Like, yeah, some, yeah. like, and I guess there's, there's much more to relationships than that. Yeah. There's much more. And in marriage can be anything you want it to be. Yeah. But I mean, um, anyway, uh, and I, I guess I, from the messaging that I've received in my life, I think that the, the the pushback has been if you involve more people you're increasing the chances of just everything blowing up in your face but i i think after hearing from you and how you've been able to um have one long-term relationship after another and instead of it being let me replace this person with this person and replace in like relationship hop it's been more of like of like of you know I like this about this person and I want to incorporate them into my life. I like this about that person I want to incorporate them into my life and it's become this thing that's growing and growing. To me that seems less threatening. Mm -hmm. Um it seems more like something you're building that can be honestly a a stronger support network for children than just being in it on your own or with one person. Yeah. So I think that you've changed my mind in, in that way. Um, so thank you. Well, that's good that. to hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, thanks for being on the show and, uh, um, we will post links for Natalie, uh, all of her art, links and stuff like that in the video in the comment section so thanks guys thank you <laughs>